0: Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime. And you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Having me today. My name is Marcia Middleton, and I am, as he said, the Board of Ministry a represent, a representative and officer for the North Texas Conference. I bring you greetings from Bishop Mike McKee in the North Texas Conference, and we are so glad that you um, are part of our connection. We are a connectional church, and that is so important, such an important part of who we are. This year, 44 uh, men and women will be coming before the Board of Ordain Ministry seeking credentials in the United Methodist Church. That's more than we've had at one time in a long time. Eighteen of those to be commissioned and the rest of those would be persons who are seeking ordination. And my job is to um, do all kinds of administrative tasks to assist them in that process. I surely miss the local church. After 30 years in the pulpit, it's quite an adjustment to all of a sudden be have a desk job, be promoted to a desk job, but that's what's happened to me, so it's good. so good to see you. I love the music this morning. Um, such classic Advent hymns that are so old and so traditional and so much a part of, of who we are as people of faith. I was interested in um, the piece... Um, the phrase about when jesus comes to reign when jesus comes to reign and and that made me think of advent and what advent really is um, the word of course means um, coming or arrival and we're waiting the coming of christ and so often we think of that as the coming of christ as a baby right any of you have ever one of those Advent calendars that you open the window and eat, eat what's inside? What's inside? Chocolate, right? So you open the little window and there's candy in there and we eat that. Um, and, and we think of that as being Advent. But really, in church history, before Christmas was even celebrated, um, Advent was a time when... Um, Christians were to look inward and prepare themselves for the coming of Christ at the end time, not as a baby. That came later in church history. That's why some of these songs are in minor keys. Some of them sound a little sad. Have you ever noticed that? Advent songs just kind of sound sad. And sometimes people want to say, well, we want to sing the ho, ho, ho. And as preachers say, no, 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 because you're rushing it. You, you you, forget, we forget, all of us do, me too, the part that tells us we are to wait and to prepare our hearts because ultimately Christ is reigning and that reigning will be fulfilled in all fullness in due time. Any time the pyramids in the church turn purple, Anytime this thing that we wear called a stole is purple, that's a time for you to look inward. That's a time the music slows down, it becomes more somber, and we begin to reflect on ourselves. How ready are you? If your life ended today, today, have you said all the I love yous you need to say? Have you done all the things you want to do? are you ready? Really? Are you at peace with God? That's what Advent's about. So I just have to throw that in there. And the scripture I'm reading today is a good Advent scripture. It is not ho, ho, ho. It is definitely no, no, no. Here we go. This is from Luke chapter 3. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to your say, say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And in reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Now, even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers, these would be Roman soldiers, also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money. From anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. And as people were filled with expectation, all were questioning in their hearts whether he might be the Messiah. But John answered all of them by saying, "I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming." I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of God for the people of God. Ooh, that is the official Bible text for today in the church, in the lectionary. And it is definitely not too ho-ho-ho, is it? Not at all. But the reason why has to do with that whole preparation thing. So today I want to talk a little bit about our response to God. Um, back 30 some odd years ago, I um, I did youth ministry. Now I'm a mom of a a 16-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy, and I'm married to Blake. We all play music together and have all kinds of musical fun in our family, and it's wonderful. But a long time ago, I did youth ministry, and among the things I did, I had to learn how to referee volleyball games. Now these were church volleyball games. These weren't official volleyball games. And my little high school, I grew up in North Hunt County, in Wolf City. Anybody know where that is? Anybody remember when we played y'all in football? Okay, that goes back a ways. Um, But we didn't have volleyball. Our school was too small. I didn't even know what it was, hardly. But here's, here's one of the many things I learned. So when the ball crosses the net into the person's turf, it is generally touched three times. And among competitive volleyball, players and coaches and such, those, each of those times is predictable and it has a purpose. So the first time it's touched is a response shot. And what that means is it is somebody who moves quickly to get to where the ball is so it doesn't hit a spot out in, in the turf where there's nobody protecting it, right? So those first touch people have to move fast, Then there's a second touch, it's called the set, and that keeps the ball in the air so that the third person, who is the point maker, hopefully, will be able to respond with a point-making shot, a spike, or perhaps a gentle kind of a response that will put the ball on the turf of the other team without being hit back, and then you get the point if you served it. It's kind of complicated. But the idea is you have the three touches. You have those three different kinds of things. And it occurs to me in life, we we, we kind of have, you know, different personalities and different styles. Some of us are first responders in our lives. We are people who have big ideas. We initiate projects. We um, probably pride ourselves on being super organized, super productive, super efficient. We like to get stuff done, you know? And we want to have everybody doing the right thing at the right time. And we're going to be rushing to that hole in the turf and filling that position of a response shot. We are. Anybody like that here? Sometimes I'm like that. Then we have people who are deal closers. Those are those third shot people. Those are the people that gets credit for the and the statistics of the game, right? They're the people who, um, who close the deal every time, who make sure projects get finished. You may not start the project, but you finish it. You make sure things are wrapped up. You might be the last one around church putting the tables up and turning the heat off at the end of the night who knows you are the closer and that's an important important role but there's another role that that some volleyball folks I was taught teach that is every bit as important and even more so sometimes Um, and that is whoever has that second touch the set the job of the person who sets the ball is to keep the ball in the air so the closer, if you will, that's my word, can close a deal so that the point can be made. And it has to happen. Sometimes we are called to keep our balls in the air. The problem with that is it's not very glamorous. Guys and gals, we do not get a lot of glory for being the set person. We don't. And even though it's an important person, it is a place of humility when it comes to how we live our lives. How we live out our life of faith. Usually um, real, um, well, people who always want to be sure their name is recognized might be less likely to be the set person. And it's unfortunate because the game might suffer if that's the case. So... John the Baptist, John, um, the cousin of Jesus, born just a few months before Jesus. Interesting guy, interesting guy, very eccentric. Remember, he had the weird clothes. He ate, um, remember what he ate? Locusts and wild honey. I like the honey, not so much the bugs. I don't eat bugs, as a rule, not on purpose. Ew, ew. And he he was in the wilderness. In fact, scholars now think he was in a scene, E-S-S-E-N-E. It was a, a group of people who were separatists. They were Jewish, and they lived sort of apart in the wilderness from everybody else, waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome. And some scholars think he likely wasn't a scene, but I don't know that they'll ever know that for a fact. Interesting kind of thing about him. And then what, what did he do? He went out into the wilderness again, and he baptized people. Now, this is really important. We might think he invented baptism. I heard a pastor preach a sermon one time that John the Baptist invented baptism. Baptism. No, he didn't. People had been baptized for centuries before John the Baptist. It was a Jewish ritual. And it was a Jewish ritual that was used for persons who were converting from being Gentile to being Jewish. Now think about what that means. So John the Baptizer is out in the wilderness. All these people flock to him. He got the untouchables, like the tax collectors. He got Roman soldiers, for heaven's sake, to come. What's that about? And he got religious leaders, lots of them, and lots of just regular Jewish people, flocking to them out in the wilderness to be baptized in the Jordan River. Wow. So for a Jewish person to be baptized meant that they had a whole new idea of what that meant. Think about that. It wasn't just going from being Gentile to Jewish. It had to be something more. It had to be preparing the way. John was sent by God to be the set so that Jesus could come in score the point and win the most important game of all which is the game of eternity John had an important important role he had his own disciples did you know that book of john said he had his own disciples one of those disciples was andrew who happened to have a brother named peter and at john's urging Andrew left being a disciple of John and went to follow Jesus instead. People were calling John the Messiah all the time. Now, this is a humble guy. He eats bugs and he's humble. But what he did was he chose the high road. Because if people all of a sudden call you Messiah, you've got all these gobs of folks by the gazillion, coming out from the city, making this long walk out to the country. You're out in the wilderness. They've come to hear you and to reorient their life. When somebody calls you Messiah, I suspect it might be just a hair tempting to take them up on that, right? I suspect it would be. But John was very clear in John chapter 3 He said to his people, he said, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. And it wasn't but a few weeks later that his head was on the platter given to the um, stepdaughter of the king as a birthday present. He was humble and he was sacrificial. And it made a huge difference. Wow. What does it mean for us to think about our faith in this Advent, this time of looking inward, and think about how we deal with being people who follow Jesus Christ? What does that mean for us? I think some of us really and truly are. First responders of the faith. We're people who issue the invitation. Who all here has ever invited somebody to church? I hope more than that. Okay. When you invite somebody to church, when you tell a piece of your story of faith to somebody else, whenever you um, initiate a contact with someone because you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to do that, you are being a first responder of faith. Pastors get to do that a lot, especially pastors that are out in the community a lot. You know, I don't think we can be good pastors sitting behind a desk. I think it takes a lot of community involvement and activism, and sometimes what that means is that we're not where you think we should be. But that's because we're doing things to fulfill what we feel God has called us to do. So that's the first responder. Then we've got people who are sort of the deal closers of faith. Now, I've done this quite a bit. Um, Methodists are a little different. You know, we, we don't talk about salvation being a one-and-done experience. We don't pray one prayer, and that's all we do, and we're going to heaven, and we don't care how we live after that. That's not what it means to be Methodist. We believe salvation is a process. But even still, in the midst of that process, there comes a point in time where somebody is sitting across the desk from me or across my conference table, and I pray with them, and they claim the name Christian for themselves for the first time ever. A deal closer. It's an amazing thing. When you baptize a believer, it's an amazing thing. God is doing something in that moment and you get to close the deal. And it's fabulous. That's great. I'm afraid, y'all, some of us don't play the game. We sit in the stands and complain about those who do play the game. Sometimes. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. Some of us, are tentative about getting involved. We might say the wrong thing. What if somebody asked me about a Bible question and I don't know the Bible all that well? What if I can't answer their question? Isn't that what we pay the preacher today? Et cetera, right? But the fact is that you're the ones that have contact with the people who need Jesus Christ and that relationship he offers. You're the ones with those relationships. So it's so much more effective if everybody thinks of themselves as folks who are called to go out and do something that makes a difference in the name of Jesus Christ, um, I suspect many of us are called to be the set. We're called to lift that ball up and keep it in the air long enough at the right time and in the right place so that somebody else can come and close the deal whenever that needs to happen. I suspect that to be the case. I'll give you an example. Um, Hard example. This is a hard time of year for many, many, many people. I'm the police chaplain in the city of the colony, and um, I was told, uh, my chief told me last Thursday that in the past... uh, I guess 16 days now, we have had eight suicides in the city of the colony. Um, Another one was yesterday, so that made nine. I want to tell you about one of those. I was called to the house. I went. It was a 14-year-old boy um, who uh, had suffered for a long time with mental illness and had put up a valiant fight and there are his parents who have no affiliation with any church, no, no affiliation with any faith, didn't know anything about, anything about Christianity at all. But they knew they wanted me there. So I was there and present with them and listening and just waiting. I, I always pray in those situations, God, help me say the right thing. Help me not mess this up. Help me not say something that's going to put them in emotional turmoil for the rest of their lives. Because that can happen if it's not handled well. And as they began to talk, they mentioned, the mom mentioned to me, she said, yeah. said it was really weird. Um, A month ago or so, he comes home and he has a Bible. We didn't give him the Bible. We don't know where he got it from. But we noticed he started reading it. He read it at breakfast and he read it after supper. And every now and then he would he would find a word he didn't understand and he would ask us about it. And we don't know, you know, we don't we don't know. And I just it's so interesting. Out of the blue, I'm thinking to my, myself. Not so much out of the blue. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't say it. Right? And I said, well, you know, it seems to me that your son was in the way he knew how, reaching out to God. He developed this interest in Christianity for the first time ever. And he was reaching out to God. And I said, that's an amazing gift. That's an amazing gift. And I told them, I said, you know, we don't believe, the Bible does not say that suicide is an unforgivable sin. It never says that. It's not in there. And so I said, you need to understand that others are going to tell you that maybe, but you know in your heart he was reaching out. He had to be. Well, I finished my time. I did the follow-up with the family. I'm still working with them a couple weeks ago. And um, it's been kind of interesting. I found out that he had gone to youth group at a church in town. That's where he got the Bible. And guess where the youth group was? First United Methodist Church of the Colony. So when we have a service, it'll be at First United Methodist Church of the Colony. And we're able to give a little bit of hope to a family that is just in pain like you would not believe. Because our God reached down through Jesus Christ and became a human being like us and knows what it means to hurt, knows what it means to hurt so much you sweat blood in the gar- Garden of Gethsemane. Wow. We have a God that understands human need. Now, in the moment, when I said what I said, I didn't go in planning to say that. I never know what I'm going to say. But the Holy Spirit told me to, and when I did, I believe God used me as a set. God used me as a set. Our youth director at the colony was the first one, was the initiator of... um, the ball, if you will, responded to the ball that crossed his net. I think I kept it in the air. And I think as we develop a relationship with that family over time, they're going to come to faith. It's just a matter of time. I know they are. They always do when they're tended to, right? That's what it means to be the set. And it doesn't have to be that dramatic that you might be called to keep the ball of faith in the air for somebody who's desperately in need of Christ. What would it mean at work if somebody says, oh, I'm going through a divorce. This Christmas is horrible. I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. And maybe you've been divorced and you say, well, you know, I don't know about you, but when it came to my life when I was divorced, the only thing that got me through was my faith in God. And by the way, I go to this great church, Methodist Church in Roy City, and I would love to pick you up or meet you there and sit by you and let you give it a try. That's all it takes to be the set to pick up on somebody's pain and keep their ball of faith in the air for a while until somebody through the Holy Spirit's power will close the deal. You've got three candles lit. We still lack one more candle and the Christ candle. You've got some time this Advent to figure out how to set that ball up for action.